as an adult, you know, after you have kids, you're kind of looking for something to identify yourself with as a mom. You need, you get to that point in life where you think, I need my thing. I need something that's just for me. I spend all day, every day giving everything to everybody else. And I need something to become just mine. And I think that's how I got back into running again. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 25 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm stoked to share Shelby Molesky's super inspiring story. In Shelby's first marathon, she qualified for Boston. And in her very first ultra, the JFK 50 miler, she rocked a 927 and placed eighth in her age group. Truly remarkable stuff. Like so many badass moms out there, Shelby was spending all day every day giving everything to everyone else. She was looking for something to identify with as a mom, something that would be just for her, and decided to come back to running. We discussed growing up as a competitive swimmer, soccer player, tennis player, basketball player, and how she made the six-minute mile club in gym class. Getting back into running again because of a lost bar bet. Training with her local running club and qualifying for her first Boston in a group led by Mike Spindler, the JFK 50-mile race director. Tackling weaknesses, taking on huge scary challenges. Training through injuries. With the longest run of 50K, she had to face down some serious fears and doubts of whether she could make it 50 miles on race day. Her JFK race day experiences, fueling, race plan, execution, and mantras. For all the badass moms out there and single dads that are doing it all and feeling overwhelmed, this one will definitely resonate and hopefully inspire you to get moving again. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good morning, Shelby. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing today? Doing well. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you on. It's great to have you on. Um, we knew each other from a couple of running Facebook pages and I think maybe a little bit of Instagram too. And I know the JFK 50 page. So we started to message a little bit as the race was getting closer and we both knew we were doing the race and we talked about maybe trying to meet up, but in COVID times, we all know that doesn't really happen. So it just, it just didn't happen. Uh, but it was great to kind of renew connection with you and start to get a little dialogue going. And then when I saw your Facebook results and just what an unbelievable uh, race you had an experience, I knew I wanted to have you on the show. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on. I'm excited to talk with you about it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yep. And um, it's good to finally connect in person. And I know I saw you out on the course a little bit that day. Um, but, you know, those are fleeting moments in time. So now we get a chance to catch up a little more. Yeah. And you and you went flying by me at like turbo speed, which was fun. Um, it's so <laughs> it's so cool how that stuff works out, though. Um, it's It's really a lot different you know, from my own experience doing, I think I've run like 47 marathons, but in marathoning, it tends to be more when somebody goes by you, you're almost always going like the same pace. 
Uh, and you know, you, you can share a couple of miles or at least a mile or so most times when you, when you do see somebody out there in a, like a Boston marathon course or New York, but in ultra running, my God, it's just so different because of the terrain and how difficult it can be. The elevation changes, whatever all that might be. So you see people in so many different States. And, um, when I saw you, I think I just gotten off of, uh, the AT, or maybe we were a little bit of a ways down the CNO, but man, I took a hard fall and I was still like licking my wounds a little bit at that point. And you just went zooming by me, man. I wished I could have like hopped up with you for a couple of miles, but you look great out there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I saw that your shin, that looked like it was a pretty nasty bite out there on the AT. And I understand that because I had several of those on my own um, on thankfully other days other than the 50, but because I know what it's like out there. I was definitely a little anxious about the AT portion. Close encounters on the AT. I, I made uh, jokes because I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. And on my posts, I, these, these races are just so long. You know, ultras are just so different. Um, and, you know, for anybody who hasn't really run an ultra yet, for more of my marathoning audience, you know, ultra is defined as anything beyond 26.2. So it doesn't have to be 50 miles. It can be 50K is the most common distance, which is like 31-ish um, but there's a lot of unusual ultra distances that don't have any specific mileage number. It's just beyond 26.2. But man, when you're out there that long, you better be thinking of something. So I like to think of like Lord of the Rings and movies and adventures and imagine myself, you know, going through some part of the scene or the film. But man, that AT, I joked around that um, they collect blood from all, you know, JFK 50 rookies, you know, that's your toll. If you want to get to Weaverton and get onto the CNO canal, you got to pay the blood toll. So I definitely met, left my deposit out there on the rocks for sure. Absolutely. Yep. So for our Run Chats audience, how about you just do a little intro on, you know, what your life was like growing up and how you actually got introduced to running and where that all started for you? Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Um, well, currently I live in Hagerstown, Maryland, and I have I'm married with two boys. They're 10 and 13. And when I'm not running for fitness or rate training, I'm, you know, running to keep up with them all over the place. So I'm always running. Um, but I was always athletic growing up my whole life, not necessarily running specifically, but I always played a sport, um, soccer, swim team, tennis, basketball. Um, some of them I was most certainly better at than others. But the funny thing is, is that what started to stand out is that I always had speed. So, you know, while I was terrible at basketball and actually not great at all at soccer, I was always the fastest kid on the team. So some coaches learned how to use that to their advantage and the ones that didn't, you know, that became a sport that I didn't play anymore. So with soccer, um, oddly, I ended up on a travel team because I was the fastest girl on the team, couldn't handle the ball at all. And the coach just used me simply to shut out the best player on the other team every game, which it was pretty fun to watch because, you know, whoever that girl was would just get so upset every time because anytime she had an open shot, there I was right cutting her off. Um, so I basically just zipped around the field. And um, with swimming, I swam competitively from age five as soon as I could jump in the pool and make one lap across without hanging onto the wall until I graduated from high school at age 18. So that was, I guess, swimming was my lifelong sport, um, which we all know is very similar to running with the endurance, the individual drive, um, 
you know, the self-competition, just like running. So that's really what I was into. I played a little water polo in high school, the off-season sport for all of the swimmers. And again, it's funny. It's like all the other ones, the, uh, the basketball and the soccer. I really wasn't very good at it. I just didn't have that hand-eye coordination uh, for those types of team sports. But my swimming background and my leg strength and all of that kept me in the game. And I got to play varsity and had some success. But really, the swimming and the running are uh, where I excelled. As a kid, my dad would take me to like the local 5Ks and the kids one mile fun runs. And I, without even really knowing what I was doing, I won my age group every time. I'm sure it was fun for my dad to watch. And that's why he kept taking me back. But it was really just because it was something that I enjoyed doing on the weekends in between whatever sport I was playing at that time of the year. Uh, you know, PE and gym, all that stuff growing up, whenever we did like the 100 yard dash or the um, the unit on, you know, track and field events, always were the things I got excited about the most. In middle school, I uh, was part of the six minute miler club. So, you know, that's kind of funny looking back. I don't know if things have changed now for girls with the encouragement of girls on the run and those kinds of programs, but they just didn't exist when I was in school. So it was a little bit of a divide for me. You know, I was excited about sports and running at a time when maybe it wasn't as cool. You know, the other girls in my class were walking laps around the track to get, you know, a 20 minute mile at a time when I was zipping along and adding stars to my yellow t-shirt with the boys. Um, and again, I didn't really even realize that it was something that I was good at. I just enjoyed doing it, which always makes things better. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, really just have been athletic my whole life. And then as an adult, you know, after you have kids, you're kind of looking for something to, identify yourself with as a mom, you need, you get to that point in life where you think I need my thing. I need something that's just for me. I spend all day, every day giving everything to everybody else. And I need something to become just mine. And I think that's how I got back into running again. That's great. Um, so you were involved in many different, uh, team sports, which I love. Um, you know, so many kids nowadays, there's this huge push on specialization and, um, you'll find kids, um, you know, I was a division one college baseball player. You'll find kids that play baseball year round. They don't play any other sport. And, and, and if they're in the Northeast, like me, there's indoor academies and strength and speed and agility, uh, training that goes on for them. And same thing with soccer, like youth, uh, elite, uh, soccer travel teams. There's this, this incredible push on kids literally just focusing on that one sport, whether it's lacrosse or it's baseball, it's soccer, um, or, or swimming, whatever, whatever it might be, or gymnastics, things like that. And I just love to talk with people who were more well-rounded and played a bunch of team sports. Cause I think it's just a wonderful experience for any kid, whether you're a star or really good, or you just have one, um, unique skill set that helps you, you know, maybe you weren't scoring goals, but you were able to take that person out of the, out, out of the scoring equation on the other side and your coaches learn how to use you and, you know, make you feel valuable 
And, uh, you know, not just speed that you're having. These are all sports that also were developing your endurance, too. So swimming is great for endurance. Soccer is great for endurance. So little by little, you were building your aerobic capacity up and setting yourself up for great success in running. Little did you know. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And now I know where I can go to for swim lessons and swim coaching since I'm going to try an Ironman this year. For As I turn 60, I want to do an Ironman. I used to be a competitive triathlete in my early 30s. I actually started triathlon before I started running. That was like the first endurance sport I did. And I had a really bad bike crash. And um, it was just bad enough where I broke a lot of uh, suborbital bones, you know, my nose, my jaw, like it was, you know, 45 mile per hour, almost 50 mile per hour crash. And, you know, I got back and did a, a race or two after that. And I was just like, I just didn't feel comfortable on the bike, having people around me at high speeds. And I just wasn't ready to get back into that. So I put everything I had into running and it's just the serendipity of life. It's been a beautiful experience for me, but with COVID, just, you know, being on lockdown for so long, I just decided I'm going to break the bike out and start doing some rides again and, you know, putting some mileage on the bike. And it just was such a cool thing to do. And of course, just a few months after I had a crash again, only the second time I've ever fallen on my bike in all the years I rode. But um, what I learned um, is, you know, hey, I want to get back to triathlon. I'm not going to let a fear of, you know, one crash or even that second one stop me from doing something I love. I love biking. I love being on the bike, but I love running, but it was always on my bucket list. So for everybody out there that's listening at home, man, there's got to be something out there that you've looked at and said, I want to try something really hard. I want to do something that really challenges me. And I have no idea if I can do it. So um, one of the premises of this show is like exploring that, that why, like, why do we take on these crazy challenges? Because clearly um, you have a great running background and we'll talk a little bit about your personal marathoning experience in Boston and all that, but to, to take on a 50 miler is a whole, a whole different ball game. And uh, you know, it's exciting stuff, right? It is. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, when you first started running, did you ever think you could run that far? Or just think about how far that is. I really didn't, you know, and I, you know, started with, with 5k, a local 5k. It was actually uh, the leg of a sprint triathlon relay that uh, happened because of a bar bet. So that's how I actually got back into racing as an adult, you know, all these years later from when I was a kid, you know, we're um, all new parents out having an evening without kids and one thing leads to another. And then we're all, you know, six or eight of us sitting around the table agreeing to sign up for this race that none of us are trained for, nor had we ever participated in before. And um, I did that. And I mean, that feeling of completing it and crossing the finish line was something that I absolutely wanted to experience again. And at that point, I mean, I had to train to complete the 5k. That was where I was in life. So uh, I signed up for another one, not too far out. It happened to be another, a great cause. Um, a colleague's daughter was sick and um, our school, I was a teacher at the time, put on a uh, charity 5k for her. So that was a great fit. I was motivated, you know, physically and emotionally to train again and complete the race for her. And after that, I mean, that was it. Then I was, you know, trying to increase mileage a little bit at a time. Um, and then finally I decided to sign up for a half and that was the big, um, leap across into my 
long distance running. And it's funny, I did the DC rock and roll half. That was my first half marathon. And, you know, there's a full that same day. And it took me months of training to get up to that point to finish the half. And when you finish, you see the marathoners doubling back on the course. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't, like, who would ever do, I can't even imagine taking one more step. Who would ever do that? That's like never even going to be a consideration. And, you know, it's just funny how quickly it snowballs and changes because here I am, I've just completed a 50 miler. Uh, but it's fun to think back of the, the landmarks along the way, as far as accomplishments and the di- different distances that you cover. It's, it's a wonderful um, perspective, like look back and look forward. Um, because for many of us, you know, that haven't run before at all and people that are listening to the show, it's, it's one of my big dreams is that hopefully somebody out there who's never run in their whole life gets inspired hearing your story, other guests of mine's stories, and just saying, you know what, this is something I need. And you made a, a wonderful point before about being a mom and needing something for yourself because, um, you know, anybody who listens to the show knows how I feel about my mom and my mom's number one, badass, number one, rock star. She's, she's number one period. I know of no one tougher, stronger, or, or anyone I look up to more in my own personal life. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's overwhelming in life being a mom and having the kids and, and the husband and everybody always circling around you, looking to you for everything. Um, the leader of the tribe, if you will. And I think it's just wonderful advice to give to any other mom or any dad that's out there as a single dad. You need to have something that is yours. You need to have something for yourself where you can escape for whatever period of time that is. It doesn't have to be a long period of time. Maybe you're running on a treadmill in your garage or in your basement. Maybe you join a local running group and you meet some other moms or dads um, or friends. You know, you don't have to be married. You can be single and just trying to make some new connections in your life and and work on changing some of your health habits and becoming more fit. It starts with one action item of just saying, I'm going to do this. And I end every podcast saying, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. Always remember to stay in the fight because it's one step. It's one choice you make every day. And I know that I try to flash some thoughts in my head about somebody like the hat I'm wearing, run for ribs, Tommy ribs. Like what would Tommy ribs give to not be in the hospital right now, not be facing his sixth round of chemotherapy, not be having to wait for a bone marrow transplant. What would other people that we know in our lives who've lost a battle with COVID are gone? What would they give to still be with us today or be healthy enough to run? So with all the stress and all the anxiety in this world right now, and we have so much of it because we're not through this thing yet, the best thing in the world you can do for yourself is to put your shoes on and figure out a way to get out the door. And even if you're not healthy enough to run right now, you know, take your dog out for a long trail walk, you know, go back to the YMCA. If you're able to swim where you are, get in the pool, um, start small, start somewhere, get out on the bike, go ride in the trail, do something. And you did that. Um, and you found that space for yourself and, uh, look, it made all the difference, right? Absolutely, it did. And uh, one of my favorite sayings is the one something about the most relaxing part of my day is when I'm working the hardest. Um, And it's relating, you know, to running that time when you have, you know, the hour or however long you're out for the day, even though you might be working the hardest physically, it really is the most mentally freeing and relaxing. I definitely identify that with that. 
And most days I actually am in my basement on a treadmill, especially uh, since, you know, distance learning and all of the other COVID fun. Um, And also because, you know, I get up really early. I run before my family hits the ground running. So I'm usually up around five in the basement getting my run in. And I, um, everybody has different opinions, but I personally don't like to run outside in the dark as a female by myself. It makes me uncomfortable. It wouldn't be relaxing for me. So at that point, it's more relaxing to just be on the treadmill and feel safe. So for those reasons, I'm mostly indoors. I get outside on the weekend to get my runs outside. I very much look forward to that. And then once a week, my husband comes running with me in the morning. So then I get outside for that as well. I like it. Um, yeah, safety is a huge component, um, particularly as it relates to all female runners and they have to be mindful, um, not just, it has nothing to do with COVID, um, just has to do with real life and where we're at. Um, and it shouldn't be, but it's a real fact of life. And, um, whether you live in a remote area or a big city or an urban area, wherever you live, it's just something that unfortunately women do have to contend with. And it's smart. Um, so you got to figure that out. If if running in a group right now doesn't provide that extra bit of safety to you or make you feel more comfortable and you can't you know, get your husband or maybe another close friend or another man to join the group, and you got you got to tackle it any way you can. So kudos to you. The five a.m. club is never going to be me. Um, people call me the vampire because I I ran a race at two o'clock in the morning. A race, you know, oh, wow. in Brooklyn, in New York City, which was literally one of the most insanely cool things I've ever done in my entire life. Because you know, New York, you know, when they say New York never sleeps, the city never sleeps. It's so true because it's there's something always going on. I mean, you still hear a fire truck, you still hear an ambulance. There's still some movement and action and. We're running over bridges, Shelby, at two o'clock in the morning and seeing a deserted city with no cars anywhere, no people anywhere. I felt like I was in an outtake of a movie. And but you also never feel more alive because you don't know where you're going. This is not a race where there's any cones or there's any people on a course. Like they just tell you where you start and where you're going to finish. And it's up to you to navigate the streets and the urban landscape. So that was super cool and uh, an adventure. And I think anything you can do in these COVID times that'll wake you up a little and give you energy. Um, you know, I, I have a better chance of getting up doing a race at two in the morning than I do of getting on a treadmill at five o'clock in the morning. So God bless you. I couldn't do it. Um, and I've got a lot of close friends who are with you. You know, they're the morning crew and I see their posts flashing up on Instagram and Facebook and I'm like barely even out of bed yet. And they've already knocked out 10 or 12 miles and I'm, I'm jelly for a little while, but then I'm like, well, I got to sleep a little later and, you know, I, I'll push it out as long as I can before, before I get mine in. Well, that's okay because see, while you're getting up or while you're out running at 2 a.m., I've already been asleep since 7 p.m. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I crash and burn early because of the early morning. So, you know, kudos to you on the same note. But um, yeah, and, you know, as you said, just even if you're in a place where you are maybe a little injured or not feeling great, you know, I think it's just important to move every day in some capacity, even if you can't do your number one choice of activity. Uh, it just is it, an endorphin release, even if it's 10, 20 minutes, I believe strongly in that, you know, I've had inner, I have inner conflict for about a day. If I feel a little something popping up where I start to think, 
oh, this could become an injury and sideline me if I don't cut back on the miles or take a rest day when I'm not supposed to. But I'm usually pretty good about doing that and knowing when to let off because, you know, I say like a mile saved is a mile earned, meaning, you know, when I cut back or stop, it's actually going to allow me to do more in the future, which is where I am right now. I'm kind of feeling a couple things here and there and the knees and the feet. And so I've taken a few days off, but I'm still getting up in the morning and doing some strength training and um, a little bit of cardio in other ways. And it just really does make a difference for the rest of the day, I believe. That's such good advice. Um, because as a rule, runners tend to be uh, great at giving advice to other runners, to our friends, to our community, to our running group, like Shelby, you got this, take a couple of days off, don't sweat it, you're going to be just as strong a week from now. But when you're making your own decision on, you know, that ITV band that's starting to bother you or the plantar fascia issue that's creeping up or whatever the heck it is, you know, high hamstring tendinopathy, you know, I feel like I'm a running doctor at this point from all the years and miles that I've logged. And I probably know as much about treating a running injury as anybody. I can't do any of the treatments myself other than the good therapeutic stuff, like good old fashioned foam rolling and, you know, having Norma tech boots. Like I, I know where to isolate and work on things. I also know the really practical things to advise my friends. Like, Hey, how often are you rotating your shoes? Are you running on the same route over and over again? All those things apply stress to the body if you're not rocking a lot of miles on the treadmill. So there are things you can do. Just think about it. If you're running on a road that's pitched 45 degrees and you're getting hip pain or knee pain on one side, hey, just a little tip. Maybe you want to find a more level graded road or run on dirt or surfaces or don't run all your miles around the local running track because it's convenient to you and maybe it's safe. And that is an important consideration, but you got to really think about the whole picture and, you know, when it comes to your body and how, it, how it's holding up. And also your advice is great because you know what, a few days off or even a week, they're not going to kill your fitness, but there are other things you can do. You, you know, you're a swimmer, get in the pool if you can, you probably might be really tricky right now up by us. We can use a lane for 30 minutes at a time and you know, it's just, it's really not easy. And I don't know about you. I am, first off, I freeze all the time on runs, <laughs> bike rides and swimming. So the idea of me going in a pool right now, let me tell you something. I've got these Roca. It's basically the neoprene wetsuit material. They're, you know, they go from your knees to your waist. So it's the same material as the wetsuit material, um, but it only keeps the that bottom piece warm. So I actually found this sleeveless neoprene like wetsuit top you know, so that'll, that'll basically make it like a full sleeveless, you know, almost like a triathlon wetsuit. That's the only way I convinced myself to swim over the winter because I just, I can't, you know, and it's the thing you hate the most, the thing that you know that you're the weakest at, that you're going to find every excuse not to do. And that's what we all have to work on. You know, what are, what are we weakest at? What do we not want to do? That's what we have to put some time in on. And I know if I really want to make that Ironman dream come true, guess what? I'm not going to have anybody help swim in 2.4 miles. I can't have you do the swim for me. It'd be sweet if I could, <laughs> you know, if I could draft a badass swimmer to say, all right, go rock the swim for me, Shelby. I got the 112, 26.2, but it would not be, you are in Ironman. I don't get to hear that, you know, coming over the loudspeaker when I cross the finish line, if somebody else does the swim. So we got to tackle our weaknesses, everybody. Don't forget that. It's very important. 
Yep. Another favorite is you can't wish for it. You have to work for it. So that's, you know, that applies there as well. Are you swimming outside or do you have access to an indoor pool? Uh, it's an indoor pool. It's uh, next time you come to New York City, I'll get you a guest pass if you and your husband are up. It's Chelsea Pierce Fitness. It's on the water um, over on the west side. It's um, just a remarkable gym, fitness center, indoor track, climbing walls, you know, massive amounts of gym workout space. It's known for like the great studio and classes, which none of those exist at this point. You're allowed to go in, but it's like a va- it's really vacant. And the pool rules are simple. It's 30 minutes late at a time. You use an app to sign up. And, you know, it's tricky because you kind of have to know when you want to go. It's very hard to do like last minute. Um, and I'm not in the city anymore. I'm on the river in New Jersey, like a four minute ferry ride across. So even though it's super close, it still involves a little bit of work. You know, I can't just like blink myself over there. Um, you know, when the weather's warmer, I don't mind taking the ferry across and freezing or even taking my bike across on the ferry and freezing. But this time of the year, it's a little tricky because I freeze on the ferry. Then I have to run down to the club. And then I get in the club and already cold and I'm changing out of sweaty, cold clothes. And I'm going to get into a pool when I'm even more cold. So there's a lot to overcome there, but I have to, I've got to keep working on it because this is the time now when I don't really have any real racing to do now that JFK 50 is behind us. This is the time now to just make those small strides of just a little at a time. You know, even though you only get 30 minutes, it's still, I can, I can develop and get better. Absolutely. And I do, I have to agree. I mean, getting in a pool is, uh, takes effort. It's just, there's something about the whole process of, you know, you have, and especially in these winter months, you have to drive or ferry or bike to the location and then will yourself out of your warm layers. And then again, will yourself into the cold water and then do, and then reverse it all over again. Uh, it's been several years since I've been in a pool, but I actually did have an injury that was pretty severe that had me in a pool for, uh, several, several months at least. Uh, and I haven't been back in since. So, uh, I can definitely identify that with that, but, um, it was actually training for my first Boston that I unfortunately fell and broke my tailbone on black ice. And I, uh, that was, so I qualified for Boston and then, you know, you're elated, you run your first marathon, you're living the running dream. You qualify for Boston on try number one, and then you pick out your plan to start the training all over again. And day one of long run, I had a beautiful snowy run on the CNO Canal where 50 took place. And I pull up into my driveway and I open my car door and the first foot that hit the driveway hit black ice. And I went right down and then the rest is history. That was it. Broke the tailbone. I was out completely for four weeks, had a pity party. And then I joined the local YMCA and I aqua jogged for eight weeks. I did everything from tempo runs to interval runs. I did a three hour long run in the pool. I got out of the water, got clearance to hit the pavement again. I needed one 20 miler mentally before I showed up to Boston. So I did that and got to the starting line. Wasn't my prettiest time, but I got there. So anyway, yeah, the pool is definitely a great tool. But once I got out of the water for that very last aqua jogging session, I was a a little over it for a while, to say the least. That is a great story. 
um, on every possible level. One, thanks for validating my freezing winter, not wanting to go in the water fears because, hey man, I, I consider myself to be not soft and I like to think of myself as being tough and gritty, but then I just I just get in my own head. I'm like, oh my God, you were so soft. Get in the fucking pool. Like it's not the end of the world. Just go in the water for Christ's sakes. And they're like, it's 80 degrees. I'm like, 80, it feels like it's like 40. And I see all these people, but you can see them and you were a swimmer. You know what I'm talking about? They all swam in high school and college and they've all got the swimmers build and they're all just like crushing laps and doing perfect flip turns. And here comes Ron into the pool like, no. No, this is not my space. This isn't my jam. I'm frozen. And I'm looking for the full wetsuit and like the neoprene head cap, you know, just to get through a few laps. Um, but I love your story. Um, you know, you qualify for Boston on your first ra- first marathon, which is just epic. Um, unbelievable. Where did you qualify? Virginia Beach, Shamrock. Nice, nice. And and um, so obviously you know, you, you hit a lifelong dream for people who that's their dream of the world to qualify for Boston. And you do it on your first one, which is just epic. And, you know, as you're telling that story, I'm thinking, oh yeah, she, she took a gainer on the CNO. She hit a little dip or a little rock. Cause the CNO for anybody who, who doesn't live down by Shelby, where you run 26.4 miles of the 50 miles on that, which is like crushed gravel, like just magnificent surface to run on. Like I, I told Shelby or we were messaging, you know, we didn't talk, but we were messaging that I'm going to come back down there for a long run. Cause we, we know, um, some of the same people like Mario Zuniga, um, some other folks that we know that are down in your neck of the woods that run JFK regularly. I just can't think of a better place to do long run training than that. If you want to just work on, you know, doing tempo miles, doing marathon pace miles, you know, just mixing, you know, whatever sort of pace you want to throw into a long run to inject it, to make it um, more challenging and more worthwhile for you. Also stashing bottles. I mean, you have all sorts of opportunities to do all that out there. So I thought for sure you're going to tell me you you hit the black ice out there and fell. So you finish the runoff, you come home and your first step in the driveway, boom, that is a, that's a classic and totally sucks. Yeah. I mean, and um, I have tripped over tree roots on the canal and I've gotten, you know, I've had a concussion or two from running somersaults, but no, nope, that day I made it through the run and it was pulling into the driveway that, that got me. So, um, but you know, I'm thankful for every experience I have. I think it only makes you stronger. And, um, my motto for that time around was, you know, success tastes sweeter with adversity. Um, I felt good about continuing with the training and persevering however I could, even though it wasn't what I had originally planned and still getting to go run Boston, you know, there's more to that story. It is a little crazy. Um, We also had a bucket list vacation planned and paid for um, that backed up to the Saturday before marathon Monday. So I actually, which I knew about before I was injured, we had already planned that when I qualified, it was one of those trips that you prepare for, you know, a couple years out, but we sailed on a catamaran around the British Virgin islands with, um, six other friends. And I, you know, we had the conversation, my husband and I, like, is this going to be doable? Are you going to be able to go on this boat for nine days and then go to Boston and run? That was a question even before I injured myself. So, you know, I said, well, this trip is only once in a lifetime. 
And at that time, I thought Boston was once in a lifetime. I would never dream that I would, you know, qualify again. I just was so thankful that I did. And I knew how hard I worked and I knew what it felt like on the marathon that day and, you know, the struggles I faced. So I wasn't sure that I was going to ever qualify again. So we decided that you just, you live once and I had to do it all. So I actually flew from San Juan directly to Boston on Saturday after I'd been on a boat for nine days. I did one run laps around a little teeny tiny island in the middle of nowhere just to loosen up the legs and um, showed up to Boston and really, you know, all of it together with the injury and then the trip, it was just it kind of actually took some pressure off of me because it became the celebration lap. I didn't feel like I could go for any kind of a goal because it just wasn't in the cards. And because of that, I just, I felt relaxed and happy to be there. And I high-fived everybody along the course and I just, um, I didn't listen to music. I enjoyed the day for what it was. And that was a silver lining for sure. What a, what a great approach. And, um, you know, like it's, it's, tr- it's tricky. Um, we have families, we have responsibilities, you know, at, at, um, the ages, your children's at, uh, 14 and 12, I think you said, you know, I coached my son's travel baseball team, never missed a single game. You know, when you have all these other responsibilities, you know, and now you throw in like a trip of a lifetime, it's awesome that you went, it's incredible that you went and experienced that with six other couples, because, yeah, I mean, your perspective at that point was, you know, it was probably going to be a one and done, you know, that the Boston, the way you explained it um, so beautifully there, you were thinking it was a once in a lifetime deal. You didn't think this was going to be something you were going to continue to do. And um, you did take the pressure off. You just made the experience about, you know, go enjoy the trip and then just show up in Boston and, you know, experience it for what it is. So it's wonderful because a lot of people, the first time they get to Boston, it becomes just too much. It's overwhelming and they do put too much pressure on themselves. And if they don't run the time they're looking for, they can really take away from that first experience. So good for you that you got it all done. You know, the the cool family trip experience, uh, showing up, you know, right before the race and then, you know, absolutely having a, you know, having a great day, having a good run. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, no regrets. And um, it ended up that then I, you know, I finished Boston with the injury at bay, but I realized I wasn't really fully recovered. So when I got home, I tried to run a little bit more after I'd recovered from the race itself, but was still feeling injured. So then I stopped all the running, went to PT, got myself in a much better place. And uh, it's funny because, you know, if you find a good PT, they know runners. So I'm almost at the end of my time with him. And I come in one day and he asks, how's it going? I said, well, you know, it's going pretty good. And he said, good. All right. Well, we're going to look, we're going to work a little more today and get you loosened up and I'll give you some more things to do at home. And I said, okay, yeah, that's, um, that's probably a good idea. Cause I signed up for a marathon last night. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the enter button. There you go. Yep. That's yeah. it. Uh, he, I'm sure he was expecting it, but you know, at some point it's just, once you've got the bug, you've got the bug. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of this whole 
thing that's taken away from all of us. And and my God, life is so much bigger than us not being able to run races or run majors. And I, you know, I'm sure I have a running podcast, but I just tell people all the time, man, chill the fuck out, man. You know, life goes on, you know, find something else to, to get you out of bed in the morning, man. Run for a charity, run for a cause like I'm doing, run to raise awareness for something or ride your bike or swim or just do something else. But, you know, you're being healthy for your own self. You know, you're not doing it so you can get another medal. I've got enough medals here, man. I'll go to a school and just give them the kids. I don't need any more running medals. You know, it's wonderful. You know, a cool medal like the six star, which encompasses so much travel and, you know, it's so difficult to pull off. It's exciting as it is that that's not why you're out there running, man. That's not why you're out there working on your fitness or anything else. So, you know what? The skies are going to be clear again and they're going to be blue again and you're going to get to race again and you're going to get to, you know, show everybody you're fit, you know, just keep your head above water, you know, find something positive to focus on. And one thing I can say for sure, which I think it's the reason why I'm going to, you know, take a little bit of a uh, talk track more with more guests on ultra. And that's why we're talking today is, Hey, you can go find a trail race real easily. There's, you can easily find a trail race to sign up for and go run, not just the JFK 50. There are many trail races going on around the country. Why? Because you're naturally spread apart. You're running, you know, much further apart from people than you would in a Boston marathon or a Chicago or a New York city marathon, where there's 40 or 50,000 of us jammed into our pens and our stalls and we're on top of each other and we're coming through pulling drinks off a table and we're all in close contact literally from the moment that we get into our staging areas to the finish line. There, there's really no point where we're broken apart. And as you and I both know from JFK, you know, what a brilliant race plan the team put together. It's the 58th year. It's America's oldest ultra marathon. That's your backyard. That's an area I'm sure you feel great pride for. Uh, I know um, a friend of mine won the women's race in 2018 um, in the year of the snow. I mean, she ran 640. I mean, so that race has kind of been in my radar or, you know, at least mentally in my head since she won the race. Like, you know, I got to check this race out. Like, and you know, like I knew all about it from her, from her talking about it on a run. Like she broke the race down beautifully for me, you know, just talking it through, explaining her race to me, like the AT, like we don't have the Appalachian Trail. We don't have a, a single track trail that's that technical by us. At least maybe, maybe if I were to drive an hour and a half to two hours out of the city and I really got into trail running specifically more, maybe we do and I'm just not aware of it. But I don't run in that kind of stuff. I run in, in Central Park on the Bridal Path. They're wide open dirt gravel paths. It's not single track. There's not boulders and rocks and leaves and tree roots and gnarly stuff. It's not there. Um, so I knew what that part was going to be like, but you know, then the rest of it, the CNO canal and then finishing on the roads. But you know, where I was going is the race directors, you know, Mike and, and Devin and their team, they did a brilliant job of planning to make sure that we could be safe. And the field was enormously reduced. Um, and I'm sure there were probably less people on the course than compared to other years, but Man, we had our buffs up in the starting areas when we came through the aid stations, when we crossed the finish line, you know, when we went to pick up our numbers, the windows were open, the doors were open. It was one runner at a time. I mean, they put a brilliant plan together and I'm just, I'm, I'm proud of them for, you know, for doing such a good job and giving us an opportunity. They really did do an outstanding job. I mean, 
even in the last days leading up to the race when they had put out all the protocol and had everything in place and then the governor was announcing more shutdowns i can't imagine what they were feeling behind the scenes but they they pushed through and um i felt safe every minute of, of the whole process from like you said the packet pickup to the starting line corrals, the different waves that they had put in place, uh, two of the race itself, the aid stations. Uh, it just, they, they did a phenomenal job. Um, and yeah, like you said, in my own backyard, you know, the 50 is something I hold near and dear. Uh, it actually so happens that um, I ran in Mike Spindler's adult uh, track club once a week. And once I actually started getting really into the running, that's how I trained for my first marathon for Virginia beach. So, you know, he got me to that first Boston, he trained me and I did his speed sessions. And then he actually took me to Boston that weekend. He takes a group of his runners every year up to the marathon and, you know, um, provides the hotel rooms and the meals and everything. So he, Mike Spindler was my first Boston experience and I'll forever be grateful for that. Um, and, you know, his adult runners and even, you know, some of he has off season um, college athletes and cross country, cross country runners show up to his Wednesday track group. We all volunteer for the 50 um, to give back and to support the race. So I've been a part of the JFK 50 for many, many years on the volunteer side of things. And um since day one of being there, volunteering for that race, I knew that that was a weekend I wanted to be a part of forever, regardless of what side of the finish line I was on. It wasn't until last couple of years that I realized that it was probably going to be something that I would do someday. The years before that, it was simply something I enjoyed being a part of just from a volunteer standpoint. And at that time, it was okay for me to just be the volunteer forever because the people, the athletes, um, the volunteers, all parts of it are just outstanding. Something that I, I really truly enjoy and believe strongly in about how great that race is. It's, um, it's really, well, first off, for everybody listening at home, Mike is the race director. So your coach, that the, the track group that you got involved with that helped you train for Virginia Beach and have that wonderful first Boston experience and travel up there and stay together. Mike's the race director at, at JFK 50. Um, got to know Devin a little bit. Devin's like the technical director. And I don't remember everybody else's name, but I, I literally think I met their entire team at one point or another because- you know what, when you're thankful and you're grateful and you share that feeling and opinion in person and then online, um, they certainly know who you are and they recognize you quickly. Um, so I made so many new friends um, by, you know, taking the choice to go down there. And it wasn't an easy choice, you know, like New York was incredibly hard hit. Um, and it's now we're on an upswing again, but not nearly as bad as some other areas of the country as we were, you know, early in the pandemic. So it wasn't an easy choice to just say, hey, I'm going to come down here and run this race. But I knew that their plan was was a safe plan and could be executed safely. And I just needed to get out of my apartment. It's me and my dog. My son lives in Vermont. I never get to see him because of COVID. I am um, able to see my brothers and my mom occasionally just for 
larger holiday gatherings and we all, you know, test before we get together um, and follow, you know, a good safety plan because my mom has lymphoma and we all are just really careful about making sure we could do something that could somehow give her COVID, of course. Um, but I made a choice specifically because I wanted to help some small local businesses down there. I wanted to spend a couple of hotel nights and, you know, buy some food, eat some meals, um, you know, take part in the race, meet other runners and just, you know, be part of that community experience. And I'm, I'm just so thankful in every way, you know, that I did. And even if I didn't have the race experience I wanted, um, and I wasn't able to finish because we we talked before coming on the air. There's very few things in life as a good athlete that you don't think you can finish. Like if you're a competitive athlete and you played sports your whole life, and once you build up to being able to do things like when you first talked about doing a half marathon, that seemed impossible. Of course it did because it's 13 miles. Like there was a time in your life when 13 miles seemed impossible and it was, and then it wasn't. And then suddenly you're able to do 26.2 and that's not impossible anymore. But as you go from like 26.2 and then it's 50, you know, it's just like, wait a minute, can I really run 50 miles? And not only can I run 50, cause I actually had run 50. I did an ultra last summer um, after the first three majors. Um, but I got lost really badly uh, up in Ithaca, New York with a group of runners. We just missed trail marking and got lost, like an hour and a half lost. And by the time we made our way back to the official course and got back on track, we knew there was no way we were going to finish. And out of that group of runners I was with, I was the only one that actually ran 50 miles. I didn't finish on time, so I didn't have an official finish, but I wasn't leaving that place until I ran 50 miles. And I had to talk the race director into letting me go back out because it's a loop course. Um, he's like, you know, there's waterfalls, there's gorgeous Shelby. I mean, it's it's gorgeous. It's Ithaca's motto is Ithaca is gorgeous, you know, like G-O-R-G-E-S versus gorgeous. Um, so spectacular, beautiful, but not particularly safe if it's dark. Um, he's like, you know, you could fall off a cliff, you know, you could be in the woods. And I'm like, okay, you're right. But I didn't come here to run, you know, 32 miles, which was what was on my watch. And he's like, all right, I'll tell you what. I've been hearing good stories about you all day from the aid stations. You've been cracking people up. You got a good personality. He goes, I'm gonna let you go back out, but you gotta promise me, you gotta give me your word that you'll turn around whenever they turn you around. I'm like, I will, I'll do it. And I did. So I had to run like seven more miles in, in the parking lot area of the state park and running around people's campfires and they're toasting marshmallows. And like, who is this maniac? But I did get my 50 but I didn't finish officially. I didn't get my medal, if you will. So I knew I could run 50 miles, but it's different. I'd had my crash. I hadn't been able to run more than 13 miles and I had never run anything that technical in terms of the first, it's 15 and a half miles. Now it's not all 15 and a half is on the AT because you run like what, two, two and a half up that crazy hill to start before you get dumped into the AT. Um, but I, uh, you know, I had real doubts whether I could finish it. So what about you? I mean, you you obviously killed it in Boston. You know, you've qualified, you've run really good times and you've had great experience there. Did you have real doubts, um, even though you trained and prepared and did all the work, did you have real doubts of whether you could finish it and get it done? You know, I can totally identify with that because I did. You know, I'm at the point with marathoning, um, even though I, I certainly haven't done 47, but enough to know that the training and the process will get me through to the finish uh, with pretty good confidence as far as being able to finish and come within, you know, five minutes or so, whatever goal I've picked for myself based on how my training is going. 
I'm able to put all that together. But with the 50, it was like starting over again as a little baby runner who doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, it's like the the rebirth of my running. And I I wasn't confident. I, I didn't know if I could finish. And um, I certainly felt not pressure from friends and family in a way that would feel like um, I had to do it, but that they were so confident in me that I could do it and finish that I was uh, anxious a little bit about how it was going to go. Um, you know, my longest training run was a 50 K that's what the plan had in it. So I had only gone up to 31 and even in my head, even though I say, well, for marathons, you know, you never go the full distance, you get to, you know, the 20 or the 22 and it always works out. Trust the training here. I was all over again, not trusting the training, you know, second guessing everything. Well, but I've only done 31. How am I going to get to 50? Is that going to come together? So uh, I definitely had doubts there. And um, I also was very, very uncertain about the AT. I did get trail runs in um, different places locally, but there's not a trail run that is like the AT. And now that you've been up there, you, I'm sure you understand <laughs> it's a whole different beast. I was able to get one group run uh, that covered the portion from South Mountain in down to Weaverton. So, you know, it, that whole about 13 mile section. And I'm grateful that I had that opportunity because then I really knew what I was getting myself into. I can't say that day was a successful run uh, I finished it. I fell three times hard, was pretty banged up. You know, I hit a shoulder, a knee, my hands were bloody, but I was thankful that I did it because then I wasn't going to be flying blind on race day. And it was after that training run that I said to myself, okay, well, I know how slow I can go on the AT to make the cutoffs and um, still have a successful day. And if I want any chance of being able to do my thing on the canal, which is where I knew I could excel, bye buddy. <laughs> I was going to, <laughs> I was going to have to um, be conservative on the trail and, you know, make it off of Weaverton safely and then let it go on the canal with whatever I had left. And that's what I did. And, you know, it, it definitely worked out. I think, you know, you always think about next time and then that's a little scary because I'm thinking, oh, well, that means somewhere in me, I want to do it again. If I'm thinking next time, you know, next time I really would like to be able to get more training on the AT. Uh, it's, you know, the kids home with the distance learning kind of skewed that plan because originally I planned to go a couple times a week while they were in school and they're home and, as you just saw. <laughs> yes. Here's, which son was that who just joined our pod briefly? We, we could have given him an intro. We should have said, hey, give him a shout out. Uh, he's a ham. We would have made him get him off. <laughs> <laughs> so probably pro mom's no best. Probably the right call. Can I, can, I, can I walk us? I want to walk us back through some of what you just covered there because some really good and in, important information in there. So for anybody who's thinking of, um, you know, getting involved and, and taking on an ultra, you know, in this case, um, some some really wonderful stuff Shelby mentioned earlier. Um, as marathon runners, you know, there are so many plans. There's a multitude of plans out there. Free, um, hiring a coach, 
Um, so many great coaches accessible. Um, there's groups, there's group coaching available to you and you, you can absolutely just download, you know, a myriad of plans that will get you successfully, you know, from say half marathon distance and further to successfully recording your first marathon. But, you know, it really just jumped out at me cause you said it and I'm laughing at myself cause my longest run was 13 miles after my bike crash. But you know, your longest run was 50 K and 50 K for people who aren't good with kilometers, it's like 31 miles, right? Think about that. 31 miles. That's 19 miles shorter than the race that we just both ran. It's 19 miles shorter. And I can't tell you how many people that I know who are running their first marathon are like, oh my God, how am I gonna do this? I've only run 21 or 22. How am I gonna run 26? That's four miles or five miles difference. I mean, that's literally like so small in the scheme of it all. So just think about the mental component that's different, you know, when you're crossing over like into trail running or longer distance ultra running of like how much more of the unknown is there. And, but I, there's just so much to that. There's so much meat on the bone because when you've done it and completed it then as Shelby has, or, and I recently have, and you're fortunate enough to make it through one of those, just think about what that does for your mental strength and your comp confidence and your self-esteem, you know, moving forward, because the longest you were able to get out there and train was 31 miles and you had to run 19 more miles on race day. And not only did you do it, you absolutely crushed it. And we'll get into more of the specifics on your time and how well you did in your age grade, age group and all that stuff. But the coolest thing is you did, you were 20 miles, almost 20 miles difference between your longest run and what was going to happen on race day. But somewhere in there, we have to learn how to just have belief whether it is the coach, whether it's Mike who's coaching you, uh, whether it is Hal Higdon plan, who you've never met Hal, but you're using his plan, or you know, you're working with Greg McVillan or you know, Brendan O'Leary, a guy I know well. You know, whatever coach you have, you know, when they tell you you can do something, just have belief, have faith, you know, have a little faith. And um, the other super cool thing is, you know, because you were local, you were able to get out there and run that section. So where we got dumped on there, I don't remember what it was, but I, I'm sure that's exactly where you started. It's like after we, I called it stairway to heaven, but it's really like stairway to hell because literally we run straight uphill for two and a half miles. I was like, is this thing ever going to end? It was like a roller coaster ride, but we were just going straight up. Now, the cool thing was the sun was kind of coming up and all that. So I was just like, okay, once we got on the trail, we're cool. But I knew the trail is where all the trouble was. Now, mind you, you ran and got beat up out there on a training run. Well, I knew what was in for me. I mean, I knew I was going to go down at some point, but I just tried to be like super positive. Um, I like to talk to people because it, it makes helps me relax. Um, so, you know, and people are all over the place. I'm sure you had the same experience in your day. Some people are incredibly friendly and they say hi and they want to talk to you. And some people are just in their own world, man. They're just like looking ahead or they're looking down at the trail and they don't, you know, they're not interested in chatting at all. But, um, your falls, like it makes me feel better because I saw so many pictures of people that were mangled because my friends are all like, oh dude, man, another fall, like the bike crash, this, you know, like maybe we need to like wrap you in bubble wrap. I'm like, dude, chill out, man. I fell at six miles and I ran 44 more miles, man. I'm not soft, man. Like I got up and took care of my business. So, um, but your experience, you went down a couple of times. Um, it's just gnarly. It's gnarly. I mean, those tree roots are everywhere. There's rocks under the leaves. Um, it's tight. It twists and turns. The angles change. It's just, it's tricky. And um, I think it's great. I think for sure next year, I'm definitely going to do it next year. So, you know, I'm coming back. I'm going to go down there. Um, 
I just love, I love the trail anyway. I would just love to go down there for a, a long trail run and then go out onto the canal. I not run the whole course again, but, you know, maybe throw on like 10, you know, after that, you know, make it a good 20, 25, you know, kind of mile mixed run where you're just, cause you know, on the AT, isn't it amazing how fast the elites can run on that? It's insane. I mean, do you see what their splits were for, for running on the AT? It's like mind boggling how, how fast the men and women, elite men and women can run on there. Oh, it's unbelievable. And backing up to when I was a volunteer, one of my original volunteer duties for the race, the uh, National Park Service used to require sentries up in the on the trail. So um, Mike would have to have some of us hike up the AT at like 4.30 in the morning and go to posts about one mile apart from each other so that we were spread throughout the course with walkie-talkies and um, available if you know people needed aid up there. But I was on sentry duty the year that Jim Walmsley broke the course record. And I was the first person that he came to up on the AT. And I mean, I he looked like a gazelle. I can't <laughs> even, it was unbelievable. And then later in the day, I watched the video of him coming down Weaverton. And it, it is, I mean, I don't know, I'll misquote the pace, but something in the six minute range, just, I mean, now having done it myself, it's even more unbelievable um, the pace that they keep up on that portion of the trail is just incredible. Think emoji, think mind blown. You know that's the best way you can describe it. And for anybody out there who's into skiing, you know, just think about your typical black diamond ski run because the the switchbacks at the end that dump us out to Weaverton. I mean, it is like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Because remember, you know, for anybody at home, the elevation, we gain about 3,000 feet of elevation and it's all in the front end of the race. I mean, yeah, sure. The last 8.4 miles on the country roads, you know, maybe you got, I don't know, 500, 800 feet in there, but you know, that's certainly average, you know, maybe it's a thousand feet. It's, it's average. It's rolling. Of course it goes up and down. So it's, it's not too bad, you know, and after running 26.4 miles flat on the canal, your body wants to do something different, man, your hips and everything are like so locked up by that point. Like any change of pace is actually good, but to see them, you know, the Camilles, the Walmsleys, to see them run through that stuff, literally like coasting over this stuff, landing at these crazy angles and the pace that, and the dexterity they have to run on those conditions. And then, I don't know, if you ever really want to just blow your socks off, go on YouTube and look up some of the like UTMB races that take place in France and in Spain and these mountain races where these people are just bombing, Shelby, I'm talking bombing down a mountain, like literally as fast as maybe you could ski or seemingly, and they're just like running down the stuff full speed. Like, nope, that's not going to happen. That's not going to be me because I'll be like broken in pieces at the bottom, but mad respect. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely will make a goal of improving that AT portion of the race, you know, hopefully I can get up there to get some better training or more consistent training on that type of terrain. But, um, I don't know, you know, and it's going back to the early days of running, the adding the mileage and getting to the half marathon. So I know anything is possible, but right now I'm just simply impressed with those that can keep up a, a quick pace on that, that 
portion because it really is. I mean, you have to see it to understand it. But I laugh because all of the pictures of people coming down off of Weaverton from the race, everyone's smiling. And I think, yeah. oh, you know, to the unknowing, they probably think, oh, they're enjoying the moment and yeah. they're happy with this. But no, I think everybody's just happy to be getting down off the, off the cliffs. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a picture of myself. There's like blood everywhere. And I mean everywhere because it was my knee, my shin, and my ankle. A lot of people just thought it was my shin or my knee because they see like the blood concentrated in that one spot. But it was like three areas where I was just gouged up. My hands were pretty dinged up too. I ended up, I had so much blood on my one glove, I just chucked it. And it was one of my favorite gloves. It was from the Tokyo Marathon. They're like super thin, lightweight, and they got the touch screen thing. But there was just blood everywhere in there. And I was just like, no, I don't want to be staring at this every single time I have my bottle to my face. I'm like, so I just chucked it. I chucked it on the, uh, on the trail, left a little donation on the AT. Um, but I think next year we're going to do some, we're going to do some group runs on there because it, um, you know, get Mario's terrific. Um, he's, I think he's done it like 10 times, get some people that are experienced there. And like anything else, you know, I think nobody wants to fall. Believe me, nobody wants to fall, but I think it's inevitable. I don't really know, uh, you know, maybe, and even the elites, I'm, I'm sure they trip. I'm sure they're losing their balance multiple times. There's no way that they could run through there that fast without having some incidents. And maybe they even, you know, slip and uh, lose their balance and take a couple of falls. I, you know, I don't know. I didn't read like detailed reports, but you know, I know one thing when you get back up from something like that, and then just to your point, when you get to the bottom, I felt like I won Powerball. I felt like I won the lottery because right. <laughs> I was standing on the ground. It was level, right? And that's the first time we'd really seen any humans. I mean, you know, there were some Boy Scout hiker types that are out there on the trail and, you know, they yield to you and they let you go by and you say good morning to them. But, you know, we're the only ones out there. Other than the volunteers, right, that are out there for the races you described, we're the only ones out there. And when we get to Weaverton, like there's people, there's photographers and I'm like bleeding all over. And I'm just like, hey, I'm on solid ground. This is a good test. Because I, I really was worried. Like, am I going to be able to run? Because you knew what was in front of us. And I knew, even though I'd never run, that I had 26.4 on the canal. And I knew that was going to be a good surface. So it was just like, can I actually run, run? Like, not going to try to run fast at all, but just can I just put weight on everything here? And once I did that, I was like, smile, like beaming, like smile and smile and smile. Like, I, you know, I felt like my teeth were going to fall because I was so happy. And I knew that, hey, I'm just going to go through these aid stations. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to reload on fuel. I'll take whatever snacks I can eat because I'm gluten-free. Um, I have celiac. And I'm just going to, you know, I'll just going to keep going. I'm only going to think about, for me, I had way more probably self-doubt even than you did, even though you grew up there. You know, you were coming in off a healthy cycle. You were fit. You trained with Mike, who's the race director. I'm sure you were coming in in a place where you know, I can't speak for your confidence level, but you had to be feeling more confident that I was, that I could finish. For me, I just kept telling myself, I just have to get to the next aid station. I'll be cool. Like I never told myself, hey, I'll drop out. I wasn't like saying, oh, I'll just go to the next aid station and drop out. But I was just telling myself, I was gonna get to the next aid station and chill. Like I never started thinking about, oh, wow, I have like 24 more miles to go or I didn't never paid any attention to that. What about you like mentally as you were going along? Like, what were you thinking about? And, you know, like getting off the AT, of course, was like a big, big win. What, what were you going through mentally as the day evolved? Um, yeah, the, the AT takes so much mental focus for me that I really didn't think about anything else other than focusing on the act of running itself while I was on the AT. I mean, really the whole portion, you know, my footing, um, my balance, 
remembering to eat, which is tricky up there because then you're taking your eyes off of your footing. So, you know, all of that together got me through the whole trail portion. Um, and then, you know, you start to get a little eager to just be done with it because it, it's mentally fatiguing to be focusing that much on literally every step of the run. So then, you know, you get down to the switchbacks of Weaverton and it's pretty exciting. Like you said, I mean, it's, you know, you kind of become goofy happy because you're coming down and it's like you said, there are people, there's an aid station and most importantly, there's flat terrain, (laughs) 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 which is the most exciting part of all of it. So, yeah, um, certainly no boredom or anything on the AT. I was just completely 100% focused. And then once I got off of Weaverton, I knew that my husband and father-in-law who crewed me would be about two or three miles out from that point. So that was the next goal to get to them and um, get some, you know, fuel and hydration that they had on the course for me and a high five and a kick in the rear to keep going. That was my next goal. And like you said, it's never, I have this much more to go. It's just, I have this much more until whatever next mental goal you've made for yourself. So at that point it was getting to see family. Um, and then after I saw them, I knew my next mental goal was getting to Antietam Aqueduct at 27.2, where I would get to change my shoes. So that was, uh, you know, my next mental goal. It never was, oh, I'm at mile 20. I've got 30 more to go. It was, I'm at mile 20. I've got seven to go. And then I, you know, get to change my shoes, which when you're in a day like that, that's an exciting thing, you know, (laughs) fresh feet, fresh socks. Uh, so, you know, the whole race really was that way for me. Um, after Antietam, I think I forget where I saw them next, but it was about every, you know, five or six miles that I was going to be seeing family, which really I, I could never, you know, give enough thanks for that support. Even if I didn't need anything from them, just, um, seeing them out there and looking forward to it. I had a friend that surprised me along the course at one point, great benefit of being local, just, um, you know, having people who could pop up along the way that you weren't, that you didn't know were going to be there. Nobody understands how motivating that is. I mean, even if you don't stop, literally you roll by somebody and see them for 45 seconds, it's enough to get you through to, you know, the next aid station or several more miles. It's so motivating to have the support along the way. Uh, I know I was really excited when I got to mile 32 because I told myself, no matter what happens for the rest of the day, I've completed my longest run ever. So I felt like I had already accomplished something, which felt great. And then, you know, I know mile 40 was another milestone mentally. I thought to myself, wow, I just ran 40 miles. And even though I have 10 more to go, nobody can ever take away the fact that I have run 40 miles. And that feels like a really great accomplishment. So I tried to just uh, be happy about the things that I was accomplishing along the way, instead of waiting for the big accomplishment that was going to come at the end. It's great. It's, you're, it's a great approach. 
And even for someone that's taken on the marathon for the first time, or even the half marathon, as you talked about, whatever that new uh, big endeavor is, where it's so much bigger than you and so much further than you've ever gone, that's really the way you have to approach it. You got to break it off into bite-sized chunks. You can't let it consume you because if the thing you're focusing on all day is how much more I have to go or how much more time I have to be on my feet or anything, you're just going to add to the struggle. Um, and, you know, I think a couple of points you made, you know, going all the way back to the AT section, for anybody that's never run a technical trail like that, you you could not have said it any better. It is exhausting. And I don't mean physically at all. I know you know what I'm talking about. It's mentally exhausting. I've never run anywhere where I had to pay attention to literally every place my foot was going to land. I had to be looking at the twists and turns because the tree roots come out of nowhere. The rocks come out of nowhere. They're hidden underneath leaves. And, you know, the cant of the trail, you know, you're running, you know, on a flattish section and all of a sudden it starts to pitch 30 degrees to the right or to the left. And these subtle inclinations and twists and turns can be the difference between twisting an ankle, uh, going down hard and landing and you know, just being bloodied. Um, and then, like you said, when you get off that section, man, it's like glee. It's like a party. You're like, wow, I'm on flat ground again. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. getting out of a boat and you've hit sea, you, you're on the land. You're like, yay, I'm on the land again. Um, and you got to do a shoe change, which I was so bummed because, you know, I was messaging with uh, Erica and Chris about that. I, you, We were like all on a Facebook messenger message, if you remember. I think we're all right. on one together. Um, and you talked about, you know, having your husband and father-in-law out there. I saw the two of them out there. I don't know what point it was, but it was just such an awesome moment for me. Now, I ended up seeing a few more people I know, but because it's hard, you know, they're yelling your name and then you look back and you know what I'm talking about. It's like, hey, who was that? I'm down here in Maryland. I don't know that many people down here. So I had a few people, you know, shout my name out and not like, you know, running with ribs or, you know, go ribs, like that kind of thing. It was more like, no, run, go run, go run, run, NYC. So I was like, okay, I don't really know who that was, but that was super cool. But seeing them was such a shot in the arm for me. I just stopped to chat with them for a little bit and they saw my leg bleeding all over and I was like, hey man. And sadly, I never saw them again, but I really wanted to, um, pull off a shoe change. It just wasn't, there wasn't a way to do it this year with COVID where I guess it's a normal thing in Weaverton, like people change their shoes there, right? Isn't there like a spot where people do it like right over there when they get off the AT? I believe so. Yeah. Weaverton is the traditional uh, or most popular shoe change spot for people. Now I had gotten some tips along the way in my training that if I could avoid that, um, then it would be better because so many people change shoes there. It gets crowded and sometimes your crew has a hard time, you know, finding you and whatnot. So even from day one, I planned to kind of try to get further down the course to wait for the shoe change. But um, then I found out Weaverton was closed anyway to crew and spectators. So it ended up working out for me because I didn't have to adjust my plan. But yeah, that's traditionally the the popular place to do that. So you just popped over, I'm assuming um, your husband or um, your father-in-law had um, shoes and socks and what, you just like popped over, sat on a rock? Like, where did you, where did you do the actual shoe change? Well, I was, I was definitely spoiled. They were good to me. They brought a bag chair and a towel. So, oh, oh, oh. you know, the bag chair open, I finally, I got to feel like an elite for once in my life, you know, and they had the shoes out with a sock in each shoe and the laces undone and, you know, to make it as quick as possible. Wow. 
Well, huge kudos to them. Awesome. And I think that's just without a doubt, uh, one of the coolest things in the trail running community, ultra community, the idea of crewing and having a crew and, you know, people make up custom signs for you as the race goes on, if they have drop bags and it's, it's, I think it's even more common in, you know, as you stretch out beyond 50, um, to a hundred K or even like a hundred miles or my God, there's races now. I just saw Moab has like 240 mile race. I mean, some of these races are just insane. Like I have no idea how people do these things. No idea whatsoever, but the crew component is huge. Um, cause in some of those races beyond what we did and we did 50, um, you're running through the night. They're not sleeping. Um, you know, so they'll have multiple people running with them, joining them. And, you know, from what I understand, you know, it's very common to hallucinate and be imagining things that I just, I know it sounds crazy, but I want to explore that. I, I just love trying anything out there that, you know, I'm not trying to kill myself or anything. I just want to see like, how far can I push myself mentally? Because I proved a lot about myself and I know you have to feel the same way. Like, as you said it so beautifully, like, you know, you, you made it past 50K, which was your furthest run. You marked that milestone in your head. Then you marked it again at 40. Like I'd never been that far. So there were two huge things. And then you still had 10 more miles to go. Um, so it's it's amazing as the day is unfolding, as it's presenting itself, you know, that you're like going through these milestones. But I mean, what did you actually feel like on the CNO, because that's your first chance to like really run. I mean, how did you, I mean, when I saw you, I mean, you looked amazing. You were just ripping. Um, and you know, it may, it may not have seemed like it, but to me, it looked like you were running like eight minute pace or, or even faster. I'm sure it probably wasn't that fast, but that's what it, you know, that's how good you look. And you know, when you're running, you know, 1030 pace or 11 minute pace and somebody zips by you, you're like, damn man, you know, but like, that's what it looked like to me. Like, what did you, what were you, what did it feel like to you on the running itself, like the running portion? Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, it just, the day came together for me. It felt really good. I, I don't know if the conservative pace on the AT saved me for the canal, um, or if it was the training or a combination of the both. Uh, and I know I certainly have room to improve and would like to figure out how to do that and where I need to do that. But for that day and what I had to give, it, I felt great. Um, my legs felt great. My feet felt great. You know, I did pop some Advil, you know, somewhere like maybe around mile 30. It's not to say that I didn't have aches and pains cause I did, but, um, I had the endurance. I felt comfortable the whole way. I think that I ran pretty much even splits for the entire portion, really even once I got off the canal, then continuing the last eight miles into the finish line, um, whatever it was, whether it was the fueling, um, I'm not sure, but you know, it was just one of those days as runners that we are thankful for. It just, it all came together. I, followed a run walk interval. I ran two miles and walked one minute. I adjusted that a little bit here and there. Like if I stopped for crew or fuel or at an aid station, then I would adjust so that I wasn't, you know, walking a minute backed up too close to a time when I had just previously stopped. So, you know, at first I was walking on the even numbers and then, you know, eventually it rotated to the odd numbers but I just tried to stick with the plan. I made the plan before the race. And, you know, it's like you've got your A, B, C, D, all the way to the Z plan, which is 
you know, roll, crawl, scoot across the finish line. And fortunately, I didn't have to go there that day. I just, I stuck with plan A and it it worked. That's beautiful. Um, I forgot to ask you, what shoes did you change into? Uh, the Hoka Carbons. Ooh, nice. And what did you run the AT section in? The Hoka Challengers. Challengers. So Hoka the, Team Hoka. Hoka. Hoka yeah. 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 Time to fly. Hashtag time to fly. I went Hoka, I went Hoka Clifton's for the whole thing. I have uh, the Speed Goat. I have, um, I don't have the Challenger. I have another uh, Hoka Trail shoe. And I was debating using those. But it, interestingly, you know, the grooves that are on the bottom that really do help you for the traction and probably would have helped me a little more than the Clifton did. I also realized that I had, you know, 35 miles or more, more or less 35 miles outside of the AT section. And the Cliftons are, you know, they're nowhere near as fast as like a Carbon, you know, you know, Carbon X or a Rocket X or something like that. But it's a good shoe and it's a fast shoe. And I've loved that. Shoe. I have the Clifton Ones, by the way. I, you can still get the Clifton Ones if oh, you wow. hunt around. Um, so I would have given anything to have been able to throw a pair of Vapor Flies on or or Carbon Xs or something like that. But it just wasn't in the cards. And, you know, it's just cool as runners. It's our natural inclination. Um, I think that's why it helps us running helps us so much in the rest of our lives, either as parents or in our business lives. Um, because we're always focusing on how can we improve? Like, what can we do better the next time? It's just the way we think and the way we work. And, you know, you're going to want to work on the AT section. I'm going to, I'm going to get back down there and I'm going to run more on that section. I want to become more familiar with it and put more miles on it. No, by no stretch am I thinking I'm going to go down there next year and run and not take a fall. If I get off that trail without falling, I'll be shocked. I just think it's, it's going to probably happen. Um, just a matter of, you know, just, just bouncing back up, you know, the one tip I gave, um, I'll give to anybody because my my friends who are much more uh, uh, pun intended, deeply rooted in trail running, um, told me when you fall, get your ass back up as quick as possible. Unless you got a broken bone or bone sticking out of the skin, you get back up the the moment you possibly can, and you keep moving. And that's exactly what I did, man. Because I saw the blood going everywhere, and it just you know you see stars for a little bit because that's not like one spot because you know anywhere you hit hard where there's nerves involved they're just going to be screaming and barking right you know if you land hard on an elbow hit your shin hard or your knee or your ankle or all three places in my case man there's those nerves are just firing man it's just like everything is just screaming at you like there's pain now i don't think i was more than a minute or two minutes where i got further down a trail where the adrenaline just started flowing and it just masked the pain and it doesn't mask it for long. And I'm such a dummy. Um, you know, you said you took Advil at like 30, like, you know, every one of those aid stations for someone who hasn't run a trail or an ultra race for every one of those aid stations, you can get Advil or Tylenol or anything in those stations. Like if I would have thought about it, I would have taken some at Weaverton. I didn't think about it until easily beyond where you're talking about. I specifically remember it was, I don't know, 32, 35. I finally said, does anybody have any Advil? Of course we have Advil. So like, I'm not saying it would have changed one thing because by that point, you know, it had fully come back like throbbing everywhere and i just put my mind elsewhere uh, don't worry just keep moving you're good to go um you'll you'll keep making it down the line and and whatever but um you know these things you know we when you have them come up and you overcome them they just make you stronger stronger for the next time and you know, not having another pair of shoes, big deal. So what? You know, I could have run a little bit faster. If I wasn't so dinged up, I probably could have run a little faster too. But I wouldn't change anything about my race now. I love how it unfolded because it just presented, you know, more challenges for me on that day. And I made it through. And your race, 
your challenges where you had never done it before. You had never gone anywhere near that distance before. You know, you hadn't gone more than 31, you know, 31 miles. So you had to run 19 more miles than you ever had. And you pulled, you know, a full out awesome day together. Um, you ran nine. Okay. I'm going to screw this up. Did you run 923? 927. 927. Okay. Not, that's not too bad, Ben, because I was like literally totally random right out of like, just, just pulled that thing out of nowhere. But that's like unbelievable time. 927. You had to be top 10 in your age group, hundred percent, like maybe top five. I think I was eight and I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm not a, um, a stats junkie. So I'm really bad about that. I don't always, you know, uh, ingrain them into my memory, even with anything, even with my daily runs or where I've come in on a race. But so it's funny to say that I don't know for certain. I did look at it initially, but I think it was eight in the age group. I mean, it's just such a fantastic um, result. And, um, you know, as we've broken the race down for you, um, you know, you, you know, you really chopped the race into sections and, you know, you tackled it smartly. And, um, you know, what I haven't asked at this point, I know you said your fueling went well, what did you use for fueling and, and how, how did you space that apart? Um, I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I, the goo, um, goo is a little hit or miss for me, you know, after eating them for so many years, some flavors are definitely better than others, but I packed the ones that I knew would work for me. Um, and the honey stinger waffles worked really well for me. And then of course, you know, like everybody else, I ended up eating things on the course that I'd never had before. At some point, Coca-Cola became my best friend. I mean, it was delicious. I couldn't, <laughs> I don't drink soda ever, even in regular life. And it was like, I couldn't get to the next aid station fast enough so I could drink more Coke. It's life-changing. It really is. Yeah. Coca-Cola is life-changing. And I think if we had that from 20 miles on in the marathon, we'd all do better in marathons too. The elites have used it in, in marathons for years um, in their maybe like last 5K, um, their last bottle drop because, you know, that sugar rush, it's just it's just different. And potato chips for the salt. I mean, it's all altogether different. And I have celiac, so some of those food things aren't really available to me. Um, and normally at ultras, you'll see all sorts of homemade specialty food things that people have cooked and prepared. But because of COVID, sadly, a lot of that couldn't happen this year because clearly with handling of food and whatnot, it had to be more packaged things. Because I've seen, you know, baked potatoes, boiled potatoes, a, a vat of like sea salt where you could dip them in and just like have it. I've seen, uh, you know, p uh, pans of people frying up bacon. Um, there, there's just some amazing stuff out there, but whatever works for you. If it's gels, if it's solid food, whatever it is, you better have a plan because if you're not getting enough calories in, you're not going to have a day like Shelby did, I can assure you, because it's really, it's it's a battle. And the moment you fall out of balance, you know, and your salt levels become too low and you have issues with potassium, whatever, that's when the cramps will come. And when the cramps come, your day's going to get ugly. I saw some people running sideways, walking sideways, <laughs> walking backwards. I mean, you see a little bit of everything. Um, and it's just, you, you feel their pain. Um, you don't want to you don't want to be in that spot. So the nutrition piece is really, really important. And it's good that you nailed that. Yeah. I, I've hit a wall on a marathon before. And you know, it's like, when you do that, like the actual real wall, not the, yeah. okay, my 
tired, but the like the glycogen depletion wall where you're getting wonky and you know the legs feel like sandbags. Yeah. If you have ever done that one time in your life, you're gonna do everything you can to make sure that it doesn't happen again. You know, the fueling in the 50 was different than marathoning because in marathons, I know, you know, I'm gonna eat every four miles. And I'm going to look at the mile markers and my watch, and I'm just going to take something out, out of my pack and I'm going to eat. But with the 50, I really, um, that wasn't going to work for me. So I just ate. I mean, I feel like I just kind of constantly had a steady stream of fueling. And even if I didn't finish a package of something, I just was trying to keep calories constantly coming my way as opposed to having a certain timeline of, you know, now it's time to eat. Now it's time to eat because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to remember to do that the whole way, or maybe that wasn't, that plan wasn't going to be enough. Whereas in a marathon it would be. So yeah, that was different. Fueling was definitely different. I just felt like I was eating all day. I think when I came home the next day, I emptied out my pack and just from the wrappers that were left now I had already dumped wrappers along the way. So we could say this is probably like half of what I ate. I had like 2,200 calories in packages that I'd eaten just for half the race. Wow. That, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's such an important piece. Um, and if you can get solid foods down and they're not, uh, disrupting anything, that's great. I mean, I wish I could eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, I could, if I, put it on gluten-free bread and, you know, maybe slice it up into small sections. My stomach is good at handling food. I don't have any issues with that. It's just, I can't have anything with wheat, barley, and rye because of celiac. Um, but I just, I just basically gorged on potato chips and Coke for, I don't know, the last 15 miles. Um, in terms of like something solid. And then, I don't know, somewhere in the mid thirties, they started having these little candy bars out there. And I just like clean, I cleaned their stash out. It was over. Oh, man, it was like, there were, there were like Butterfingers. <laughs> there were Baby Ruth's, which miraculously for me, because it's hard to imagine that chocolate, chocolate doesn't have gluten in it, but a lot of the candy bars that have other things in them have gluten in them. So I can't just pick up anything, but I saw those. I know which ones are gluten-free. As soon as I saw them, I'm just like, I'll take a handful of these, take a handful of those. And because they were the bite-sized ones, like when you give them out for Halloween with the kids, I was able to just like put those in my mouth and like, not even like bite, you know, just kind of like, just have them in there, just like kind of chill out with them, almost like suck on them for a while. And, you know, then have a drink. And it was just, it was a game changer for me. So to have chocolate, potato chips and Coca-Cola, you know, coming down the stretch, I, I can't complain. Yeah. And I, I listened to one of your other recent casts and it was my favorite thing was to learn that you like to eat junk food. I thought that was the, you know, here he's this great <laughs> marathoner, you know, sub three and, you know, he likes to eat junk food. So I really got a kick out of that. I loved it because, you know, you have this certain idea in your head of, what uh, different athletes are going to be like and, you know, regimented and this and that. And to learn that, you know, everybody has another side. I think those are the great facts that I, I love to discover about people. Oh, that's great. I mean, I love to put that stuff out there. I mean, I've lived through this pandemic on gluten-free pizza, tacos, and milk duds and Cheetos. So, um, and then when I need to go away from that stuff, it's uh, sour gummies and like sour lifesavers and Haribo, um, sour candy. Yeah, my diet's embarrassing. It's really, really bad. Um, but I feel like it can be proper fueling for a hundred. And um, absolutely, you know, I'm thinking of I'm going to look for a hundred k or hundred miler. Um, I've got some events that are like locked and loaded for 
2021. I qualified for the World Age Group Marathon Championships, which are in London. Um, and that'll be like the big event that I will try to put everything I have into performing on, provided that race actually takes place. October 3rd, which is my son's birthday. So that's got to be some good juju for that. Um, I paid for my trip to Tokyo. So it's fully paid, like the hotel, the flight. That's fully paid. That's fully together. That's two weeks apart from London. I think it's October 17th, which crazily is my older brother's birthday. Um, So it's like, what kind of 2021? And who knows if either of those races would take place, but they're paid for, they're huge events for me. And then I would get my second six star um, in Tokyo. So I probably will go through with both of those because they're booked and handled. But my real fun thing to do this year would be to, if I could get my swimming together, to do an Ironman, or at least a half Ironman. And then I definitely want to look at a hundred K or hundred miler. I think really more a hundred miler because you and I both know, like you went 50 K to 50 miles. That's 18, you know, 19 miles. That's not like five or 10. If I can do 50, I know I can do 62. And please, for anybody listening, that isn't cockiness one bit. That's just believing that you can just keep pushing yourself. I mean, if I can go 50 miles, I can go 12 more. Now, if that 100K happens to be in the Colorado mountains and it's you know 12 to 15,000 feet of elevation and it's at 8,000 feet, I'm not signing up for that race. I'm not saying I can do that 100K. I'll find one that is a reasonable train. I know for all of JFK, the, the magic of JFK is that if you can survive the AT, the rest of the race is wonderful. I mean, you've got this gravel section of a full marathon, and then your last eight and a half is on regular country rolling roads. So terrain-wise, you couldn't ask for a better mixture than what JFK presents to you, you know, in terms of like tackling your first 50. So I want to find something similar to that for either 100K or 100 miles. So that's what I'm thinking of for my year. What are you thinking of for your year for 2021? Well, I look forward to following your journey. That's some pretty big and exciting stuff. Um, Right now, because of the times, I haven't set um, big, far out goals. My immediate goal is to work on the half. I think I'd, you know, I've fallen in love with the longer distance So that's about as short as I want to go as far as creating a goal race. So once I finish recovering from the 50 and making sure that the little, you know, aches and pains that I've had pop up the last few weeks are at bay, then I'm going to work on getting some speed back and then find a half to pop into for the spring. Nice. I think it's really important. Keep working on that speed. It's very, very important. Um, and it'll help you in the other distances too. It'll help you run a stronger marathon, 50 K 50 miles, all that. Um, because you were rolling, you were rolling when I saw you on the, uh, on the CNO section, man, that's a great section to run. It really, and who knows? I probably saw your husband and your father-in-law out there because I saw the same people. It's amazing. I just started recognizing people. It's like, I know this person, this one has the dog and there's two kids. And, you know, you keep seeing the same people, you know, because what they would do is just keep moving further down the road, you know, and getting out onto the course. And and that was fun. Even if I didn't know them, it was still like, I felt like I knew them by the end of the race. You know, they were, they were giving you the cheers. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And the marathon distance is, you know, my favorite, I think, but I mean, I really did love the 50, but I absolutely want to keep chipping away at my marathon time. So hopefully racing will get back to normal in the fall. And then, uh, most definitely I'll, I'll pick out a goal race for a marathon in the fall. Once we know 
with certainty that those will take place. Well, your options are obvious. Boston is going to get moved. Um, it'll be in the fall somewhere. And then New York is the first um, Sunday in November. I think it's November 3rd this year, November 1st. I don't know. I was looking at it on the calendar. But, you know, those are your choices. Um, you can get into either of those races. You've got fast enough times, you know, to qualify. So do you think you would do Because they're probably going to be fairly close together. Would you, would you do one or you try to do them both? I'd probably um, try to get back to Boston again. I feel like, I, you know, you say, oh, I got to do one more time. And then, you know, however many years later, you talk to these people that have run 20 of them. But for now, I still feel excited about getting back there again. Yeah. Boston's awesome. And the community element is almost impossible to beat. Although New York is a better race experience with the course and the boroughs. But it's 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 very close. Very, very close. The Boston experience on the race courses is super, super close. It's just New York is just, uh, there's so much diversity um, and, you know, running over the bridge and just all of it. It's um, energy levels are like through the roof. So good stuff. Have you run New York? I haven't. And I hear good things. You know, um, New York is on the list. Chicago is on the list. And also some uh, smaller races that are closer to home are on the list. Steamtown is on the list. Um, I guess, you know, Harrisburg, just because it's for me a localish race, but I hear, you know, it, good things about it. I don't necessarily always need to go to a big city marathon or a, a major, but those are the ones that definitely um, leave, a, leave their mark. So I, I'd like to get to as many of them as I can. And uh, I feel like as long as I keep myself healthy and, you know, like I've said a couple of times before, know when to back off so that I can then ramp up again. I just, you know, I want to be in it for the no pun intended long run. So, you know, get to New York, get to Chicago, you know, keep doing Boston, run more JFKs, you know, lifelong goals for me, not just short term, not just race by race, but big picture. I like it. It's a long-term plan. Um, you got to be patient. A lot of people want to do all this stuff all at once. And in my case, I was able to do all six in one year, but that was just a rare thing for me. You know, I'm older. I'm, my body's more used to this kind of training and racing and, and can hold up and handle it well. Unless my son's graduated college, man, I'm in a different spot in my life, you know, where I can just get up and go and, and do these things. So there's plenty of time as you get older and your, um, your body is more used to this stuff. Um, to try to do some crazy things like that. And if that's of no interest to you, you don't, you know, you, you got to find what, what gets the fire going in you. I know what gets going for me. So it's a good plan for you, but with your swimming, you gotta, you gotta get into some triathlon, man. You have to. I'll never say never. So, you know, you never know. And yep, absolutely. You know, the, the time to train and time is, is an excuse, but, you know, as you can see from the little guy dancing around here in the back, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a balance and a challenge. And I usually only pick about one or two goal races a year um, because I do, it's incredibly important to me that I cross finish lines, knowing that I didn't leave my family in the dust along the way. Um, I don't like to make it so much of my thing that it's, everybody else revolving around that. I absolutely schedule my running around everybody else. So I'm constantly shuffling runs, looking ahead to the next week of the training plan, making sure 
that the goal runs for the week are going to fall at times when I can get them in without burdening somebody else. That's a huge component to my running. And, um, you know, you always want to do more of the thing that you love and that you're passionate about, but my family is also that thing. So I have to find a way to balance them and make it work all around. That's why moms are badasses and moms rule. I mean, <laughs> that's the bottom line. Moms rule. See, you can't even do a podcast. Kids are like, so what, mom? I still have to talk to you. I'm just going to come in. I'm going to chat. I'm going to hang out on the screen, whatever. I'll get a little airtime. So if this were a live, you know, IG live, you know, he would be, he'd be, uh, he's part of this episode for sure. But in the audio, man, eh, we really won't hear him too much, but you know, we'll see. We might, I might have to throw, I might have to go through, a, uh, the, uh, zoom feed and find a little clip for you to, to send you back. It might be fun because he was behind you and to the side of you and everything else. That was kind of fun. Interesting. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yep. It's like the, the true statement of you never know what's going on, you know, in somebody else's world. It's like, you're getting a little peek into it right now. Yeah. And of course you're looking at your screen and I see him behind you. So it's a, a whole other level of madness, right? Uh -oh. uh, yep. Enjoyable and so much fun. So do you have anything else we didn't get to um, before we roll out anything top of mind or anything else we didn't get to that you'd like to cover? Oh, wow. You know, I feel like I can be on this topic for days, but, um, I don't think so. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, you know, again, nice to use my brain in other ways and have great conversation and, uh, talk about the passion running. Yeah. Well, it was absolute pleasure, um, having you on. It was a great, great conversation. Enjoyed it so much and great to get to see you in person, uh, meet you in person via zoom, which is fun because this is our new life in 2020 and bridging into 2021. We're just living the zoom life. So, um, definitely, um, super opportunity for us to connect and talk and thanks so much for sharing your journey leading up to JFK, how you got into running and all of it. I'm sure it's going to inspire lots of other people out there that are thinking of, uh, putting the toe in the water and, and making, uh, making the bridge over from the marathon land to uh, trail or ultra running. Yep. What, wherever you are, you know, there's always more in you. It's, um, what do they say? You know, 80% mental and 20% physical, however you want to break it up, but the, the mental game, you know, it's just, you can do it. That's what I would say to anybody. You can do it. It's a great place to leave it. We're all capable of so much more than we think. So, um, let's just keep pushing. And I sign off every show and I just tell everybody, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. Peace out, everybody, and always remember to stay in the fight. God bless, everybody. Wow, that was so inspiring. I really enjoyed our chat. For anyone out there who's juggling a lot of balls in the air, and that certainly is a lot of us in COVID times in 2020, it's, uh, it just fires you up a little more to hear about someone like Shelby who's managing to pull it all off and get it all done and still put some amazing running results up on the board. So definitely uh, inspired by listening to her share her story with me and just walk through it all for the listeners of Run Chat. So definitely excited and just super pumped that she chose to come on here and share her uh, interesting story with me because I think it will really resonate with any moms or single dads out there that are juggling a lot of balls in the air and have a ton of responsibilities 
Uh, but realize how important running is to keep yourself healthy, not only physically, but mentally as well. So kudos to you, Shelby. Thanks so much for sharing your super inspiring story. I hope you all will continue to share episodes like these with your community and Instagram stories, Instagram overall, and on Facebook. It really helps us find new listeners for Run Chats and brings people to the show. We appreciate it. And some of those very same people bring me suggestions and ideas on who would be good guests for the show. So we've got a good thing going on in the community here and we're continuing to build it out further. And I just wanna say thank you to all of you who've been so loyal and stuck with me when some of the episodes got pretty stretched out due to COVID and uh, didn't have the consistency maybe that I would have liked at times, but that's 2020 in a nutshell. So thank you all so much from the bottom of my heart for being part of Run Chats. <clears throat> Excuse me all year as my throat is going on me here. And Shelby, thank you so much for sharing your super inspiring story and how you've done some amazing things you know, in the marathon space and now over into the ultra space as well. And it's going to be exciting to follow your running journey from here. So everybody definitely give her a follow on Instagram and keep posting on her progress. Uh, all, all the best to everybody. As I always say, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. Always remember to stay in the fight. And on this episode, we'd be remiss if we didn't wish everybody a happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. So God bless to everybody. Please stay healthy and enjoy safely your time with family until uh, we'll probably talk again after the new year. So God bless everybody. Peace out. Peace out.